Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now, and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45, equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Do you think you're going to make a film? Huh? Do you think, would you like to make a film? Yes. In it, I'd like to kill a lot of people. <laughs> How many people? Oh, about 200. Well, they'd all be famous names. I'd love to kill Mick Jagger on film, but I bet he'd never do it because his ego would be deflated or something absurd. I just want to make a film of it on film. I'd like to kill Jimmy Savile. In bed, before I went to sleep, I fantasised about London and what I'd do there when the city belonged to me. There was a sound that London had. It was, I'm afraid, people in Hyde Park playing bongos with their hands. There was also the keyboard on the doors light my fire. There were kids dressed in velvet cloaks who lived free lives. There were thousands of black people everywhere, so I wouldn't feel exposed. There were bookshops with racks of magazines printed without capital letters or the bourgeois disturbance of false stops. There were shops selling all the records you could desire. There were parties where girls and boys you didn't know took you upstairs and screwed you. There were all the drugs you could use. Hooray! Is this where we're going? This is where we're going next. It sounds brilliant. Welcome back to the Curiously Specific Book Club, the podcast that is curiously specific about dates and locations in well-known books, presented by me, Tim Wright, and you, Lloyd Shepard. I'm Lloyd Shepard. We are uh, starting part two of our adventure with Hanif Kureishi's Buddha of Suburbia. And neatly, the book is divided into two books, makes it very easy for us. Book one was all about South London and the suburbs, Bromley, Penge, Beckenham. Uh, but in book two, we are going into London itself, as Kareem does. The bright lights. The bright lights, where people play bongos in Hyde Park. Hooray! Less attractive. But uh, it sounds fun, doesn't it? So we're, going to, we're actually going to West London. We're going to West Kensington. Okay. Which is where him and his father, Haroon, yes. and his father's lover, we would say. Yes. Eva. Yes, he's uh, basically run off with Eva. He's run off with Eva from her house in Beckenham. And I found a flat in West Kensington. That she's going to do up because she's, she's got aspirations up. to be an interior designer. She has. Uh, we're going to go there right now and, and try and find out whereabouts this flat is. Uh, it's near to some interesting places, uh, including the Nashville, a very famous pub. Yes. Uh, and he uh, claims that Mandy Bryce Davis lives down the road and the manager of Thin Lizzy. Uh, the road manager of Thin Lizzy lives in the basement. Yes. Which I'm obviously very excited about. <laughs> so uh, should we go and uh, check it out and see if it's as exciting as they say? Yes, hopefully we'll be dancing in the moonlight. 
on this hot summer night. But before we could move, the band shambled on. Young kids in clothes similar to the audience. The fans suddenly started to bounce up and down. As they pumped into the air and threw themselves sideways, they screamed and spat at the band until the singer, a skinny little kid with carroty hair, dripped with saliva. He seemed to expect this and merely abused the audience back, spitting at them, skidding over onto his arse once and drinking and slouching around the stage as if he were in his living room. His purpose was not to be charismatic. He would be himself in whatever mundane way it took. The little kid wanted to be an anti-star and I couldn't take my eyes off him. It must have been worse for Charlie. He's an idiot, Charlie said. <laughs> Johnny Idiot. Johnny Idiot. So that is... Hello. That's clearly... Uh, very, very boring, Sydney. Very boring indeed. That's clearly uh, Johnny Rotten, right? It is Johnny Rotten. Um, and we are sitting in the Nashville. The Nashville Room. Now known as the famous Three Kings. Yes. It's surrounded by screens showing horse racing or some weird version of... Road luge. That we've, uh, <laughs> we've been trying to figure out. I'm just trying to find the... Um, the links to the date so I can give the exact date when this is happening. I've got it here. I think it's the 29th of April, 1976. 29th of April, 1976. Thank you very much. Mm. The Sex Pistols played yes. in Nashville. They were due to play on the uh, 20th of March, 1976, with Vivian Stanchel. Yep. But they, there was a no-show. There was a no-show. Um, so we're, in, we're now in West London. We've come away wow. from South London. Yes, that's We've right. We've crossed the river. It's very noisy here. Very noisy. It's full of people. Well, there was a guy at the front dressed as St. Patrick or in St. Patrick's that, He's not garb. dressed as St. Patrick. Well, you know, he's, he's dressed in a in, green hat. He was he's dressed, dressed in, as a leprechaun. He's oh. <laughs> God. So this is, an, is this a big Irish pub then? No. no. I think every pub every on St. Pub. Patrick's Day is trying to sell you a lot of Guinness. It's St. Patrick's we'll Day today. It's Irish. Yeah. Is it? Yeah. Oh God, and we came into a pub. Yeah, no, All right. we might never leave. So we've come to West London because um, Kareem and Haroon and Eva yeah. rent a flat in West London. That's right. Which is described as being around the corner from the Nashville. That's right. Uh, if you want to come to the Nashville, a.k.a. the famous Three Kings, it's right next to West Kensington Tube Station. The only other reference to a landmark near their flat is a thing about um, Mahatma Gandhi having lived there. You found the plaque, Tim. Yes, I have. Yes. So where is the plaque? What road is it on? Well, the plaque is on Brom Barons Court Road. Just around the corner from the Nashville. L really, only a couple of minutes walk. Yeah, yeah very good. Um, on a terrace that looks like, well, a, 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 that I imagine could have been quite run down in the 70s and 80s. And then if you did it up like Eva does it would be worth a lot of money yeah It'd become very fashionable yeah um, so I, I get that that kind of works yeah if we said that they were on Barons Court Road I'd be happy with that yeah and then then you just your local boozer would be the Nashville rooms I was saying I thought it was a bit small in here but actually as you pointed out I think they put an in a, a middle bit in a, a well they do say they do say in the book that Charlie's deeply unimpressed by the venue it says it's really pokey yeah and tiny so but uh, you look at the people bands who used to play here I mean yeah, it's, it's amazing it's, it's basically pub rock punk what well, Ian Jury and uh, uh, Joe Strummer sort of yeah had, played regularly played a lot the here Stranglers right? played regularly here yeah so it's, um, it's 
It's quite a big part of the punk scene. Yeah, absolutely. Really Do big. punks bit. have a scene? Or is that too hippie? Yeah, I, it, it feels very... The list that I saw, it feel, felt very stiff records. Yeah, very good. In, in terms of a venue. Yes, yeah, very stiff records. But I did used to come here because there was, there was a big recording studio around the corner. Even more studios. I, I recorded... Did you record there, Tim? I did record a couple of <sighs> demos there, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I've been everywhere, mate. Everywhere we go. I've been everywhere. Now, the most exciting thing about this flat, of course, is who lives downstairs. Ah, you were very keen on this. Thin Lizzy's road manager. Yes, yes. Lives downstairs. So I looked him up. Go on, then. Frank Murray. What an amazing guy. Yes. He was, um, he, he seemed to know everybody. Uh, legendary Irish music figure. He he Frank Murray knew Phil Linnett from the Black Eagles and Skid Row days and as a long-time friend was obvious choice for the post of Thin Lizzy tour manager. In his capacity as boot camp sergeant and nursemaid, Murray oversaw Lizzy's rise from promising one-hit wonders to one of the premier touring bands of the day. He was also the man charged with the sad task of stewarding Phil Linnett's casket home in January 1986. Oh. But, then he, but then he went on to manage the Pogues. The Pogues. Yes. So what a what a track record, Thin Lizzy and the Pogues. There is a very good article about his um, funeral, uh, his own funeral yeah. in the Independent, and like so many famous people came to his funeral. He was yeah. very well connected, wasn't he? But I couldn't find out exactly where he lived. No, died in 2016. Well, it, it, it also says that uh, Rackman had sorted out a flat for Mandy Rice Davis. So I think he's got that wrong, isn't he? On the same road. I think he's got that wrong, hasn't he? Well, I looked that up about Mandy, the life of Mandy Rice Davis. One, one I was surprised to find, as we've mentioned already, that she was a, a bit of a Bowie yeah. follower. She was there for the right bandstand. Before he was famous. Yeah. But the other thing is, it's very clear that, sh- that Rackman operated, he had properties mainly around Mayfair. Yeah. And that it does mention that she, she did live in a flat that he owned. In Mayfair, yeah, there's no reference to her living around this part. Of the no, world. I can't find anything about that so either. I'm not sure that's right. Sid Vicious would have been here. Billy Idol and Susie of the Banshees, the Bromley contingent, would. They have been would all here. be up here. They would be sitting right next to you. They would, yeah, yeah, sitting next to Susie Sue. <laughs> well, we've come up close. We've been close to Susie Sue, haven't we? Sue, yes. It took quite a lot of recovery time. Slightly terrifying. Slightly in her, terrifying. In her, in her, <laughs> her skin-tight leather onesie. Yeah. Jeez. But we're, uh, I feel like we're a long way from South London now. We feel we've entered another world. Yeah. I'm not, I'm not, I'm not comfortable with it, I'll no. be honest with you. I know, I feel a bit twitchy. Sex Pistols. to talk about the author it would be nice to talk about the author as the author is an extremely interesting man i would say that's right hanif kureshi cbe which i didn't know yes he was born on the 5th of december 1954 
he uh, is the descendant of a uh, quite a wealthy family from Madras, actually, or Chennai, as it's called now, okay. in the south, south of India. Well, his, his father's family moved to Pakistan after the partition in 1947. Interestingly, Hanif Qureshi in the 70s was writing pornography. He was. And one of his pen names was Kareem. Yes. His other was Antonia French. Yeah. <laughs> Very good. <laughs> Sounds like something you would ask for in a dodgy shop in Soho. Yes. Can I have an Antonia French? His father came to the UK in 1950 to study law, ran out of money, took a desk job at the Pakistani embassy. So he was a clerk. Right, which is which the is father like, in the book yeah, is a clerk. Haroon. And, uh, in civil service. And, yeah. uh, so this is very autobiographical, this novel. Do we he not describes think? his mother, Audrey Buss, brilliant name, as a young, and he describes her as a young, lower, middle-class suburban woman, which is a... It's quite, you know, it's obviously... Or mum. Or mum, yeah. Um, yeah, so he grew up in Bromley, as we've, we've discussed. Uh, but, as a, you know, from, from quite well-to-do background, he described... There's quite a good interview note on the Wikipedia page about him describing his family as my paternal grandfather, an army doctor, was a colonel in the Indian Army, big family, servants, tennis court, cricket, everything. My father went to the cathedral school that Salman Rushdie went to. And later in Pakistan, my family were close to the Bhutos. So, you know, quite well connected. So quite a big change for his father to come to Bromley and yes. end up in this kind of slightly... You know, so he is an world. odd mix, isn't he? Because he's got sort of some quite sort of rich family background yeah, on one yeah. side and then a working class background from the other. And he's obviously got his own aspirations to be quite posh, don't you Absolutely. see? Absolutely. Actually, it sort of gets a bit meta as well because uh, in the book, Karim has to find a... When he becomes an actor, he has to... Uh, create a character as part of an improvisation class and first of all he thinks about doing his uncle but um, all the white people in the theatre group go oh no that's no good yeah uh, it's tokenistic tokenistic blah 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 so then he then he picks on this uh, Jamina's husband and, yeah. and then the husband says you're not going to base your stupid acting thing on me are yeah. you? I'll be really cross no 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 it won't be no. well it's interesting because that's got interesting echoes with Hanif Karish's own life because his family got very very annoyed yeah. about the, the portrayal of the characters in the Buddha of Suburbia well I've got some quotes here from his sister uh, Yasmin uh, saying that he sold her family down the line Writing in a letter to The Guardian, she said it was fabricated, the family history, for the entertainment of the public and for Hanif's profit. She says that his description of her family's working-class roots are fictitious. Their grandfather was not cloth-cap working-class, as described in the book. Their mother never worked in a shoe shop. And their father, she says, was not a bitter old man, as sometimes as shown at the end of the mm. book. It isn't really, actually. No. I don't think he is, really, no. to be honest. And then says also the father took umbrage as well, says, my father was angry when the Buddha of suburbia came out as he felt that Hanif had robbed him of his dignity and he didn't speak to Hanif for about a year. Mm. Wow. So I mean, he he's in very unapologetic about his idea that he should be allowed to write about what he likes well, he's, he's, he he's quite mili- he's quite militant on the whole subject of his art, isn't he? And the you know being true to himself and true to his art. Yeah, and um, you it, said you were telling me because obviously he's he's had a terrible fall. Right? Well, that's he's important, in, isn't it? He's yeah. in hospital right now. Yeah, he's uh, lost the use of his arms and his legs. And you would have been following. A lot of people have been following his tweets that he's. he's yeah, he's now turned out. it into a Substack column and is. Uh, oh, is he? Yeah. Okay, well, yeah. there you go. Hoping yeah. to monetize yeah. it. Always be always be working. Yeah, but uh, th- didn't he say at one point in one of the tweets that he regrets not being more hardline? Uh, well, this is where yes, I saw this. It, it, this is just recently. He says, "I have been cautious, nervous, and hysterically shilly shallying, and I have expected less from the world than it might have given me if I had shown more courage and backed my own desire better." 
and if I had been less afraid of what others might think. I've often wondered whether I'm quite an indecisive person. Sitting here alone in my wheelchair, I have plenty of time to reflect on how I have lived my life so far. I know there are many matters and times and occasions in my life when I haven't taken action, when it would have benefited me. Mm-hmm. But he's quite an outspoken guy, so you're trying to imagine, oh, right, so if you if you said what you really said, yeah, what, we really what the hell would that yeah, be yeah. about? So he does, have, he does have twin boys, doesn't he? He has a couple of kids. Um, he has three, because he has, he has three kids. Actually. Oh, and a younger son, that's yeah. right, yeah. And uh, he, he's, you know, avowedly bisexual. You know, he's talked about that. Yep. He doesn't really have much to do with Pakistan and India anymore, uh, or, or never really. I mean, he's, I think he said he, he, he rarely visits it. I think he visited uh, in 2012 and hadn't, said he hadn't been there for 20 years. Uh, so he doesn't, you know. Not, well, he not, likes to be English. He likes to be English. Yeah, um, in terms of his influences, I was quite taken by this because yeah. obviously he's been he's been called by some a post-colonial Philip Roth, and I think that's to do with the fact that he writes about sex a lot, yeah. basically, from a male that, perspective. I kind of get that. Yeah, kind of get it. But he himself says, "I like to think I'm a comic writer in the English comic tradition of Evelyn War, and Kingsley Amos and Angus Wilson." And he says he's probably one of his most favourite writers who he goes back to all the time, P.G. Woodhouse. <laughs> really? Yeah. That's so funny. That's really... It is quite funny, Buddha Suburbia, to be yeah. fair. He's I a, mean, some of the other things he's written, he obviously, he's obviously famous for his screenplay, My Beautiful Laundrette. Yes. Came out after. Directed by his best mate. He calls him his best mate. Yeah. His best mate, uh, 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 Stephen Frears. Stephen Frears. He's got a best mate who went to a really good school. <laughs> okay. Do we need to? We don't need to colour that in, do we? If you, no. if you know, you know. If you know, you know. Oh. Zadie Smith remembers her first reading of Buddha of Suburbia, aged 15. Mm. There was one copy going round our school like contraband. I read it in one sitting in the playground. I don't believe that. And missed <laughs> all my classes. I'd never read a book about anyone remotely like me before. Yeah. So it was a big deal. Big deal. At the time. So I think, you know, he's he's got... Um, Salman Rushdie's a friend of his. Yeah, they're quite big friends. Actually, I think he just likes writing as a lifestyle. Do you know, he's he's yeah, yeah. he's said several times in interviews, "I'm really lazy." Yeah. And writers a really good excuse for lazy people because you just look like you're you're doing stuff when you when you're yeah. thinking. You know, yeah, and he said, he said, "I can he, relate." <laughs> yeah, exactly. There's one really good moment interview where he says, uh, "When someone said, when did you start to think you could be a writer?" He said, oh, "I was doing. I was looking out the window one day, and I thought." I could do this all the time. <laughs> That's brilliant. <laughs> well, we're going to uh, we're going to take ourselves off to the theatre now, darling. Alternative theatre? No, not darling. Comrade, theater. comrade. Exactly. <laughs> um, we're we're going uh, to a theatre, a modern theatre, arty theatre. Yes. Uh, near the river in West London. Yes, where 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 at the same time they were just winding down a filming of Doctor Who mm-hmm. and just. Recording a demo tape of the Sex Pistols. There you go. Talk about placing it in cultural context. BBC Radio 4 presents from the BBC Radio 4 Drama Theatre in London before a live in audience, the National Theatre of Brent in the arts and how they was done. Conceived. Presented by and starring myself, Desmond Olivier Dingle. When we arrived in London after visiting ten cities, we started to re-rehearse and prepare for previews 
at an art centre in West London, not far from Eva's flat. It was a fashionable place where the latest in international dance, sculpture, cinema and theatre was displayed. It was run by two highly strung aesthetes who had a purity and severity of taste that made Pike look rococo in comparison. I sat around with them in the restaurant, eating bean shoots and listening to talk of the new dance and an innovative form called performance. I saw one performance. This involved a man in a boiler suit pulling a piece of camembert across a vast floor by a piece of string. Behind him, two boys in black played guitars. It was called Cheese Piece. Fitting right here, wouldn't it? It's very funny. He is very funny. We've moved on from Ava's flat in West Kensington. And we've come about... Not uh, far, though. Le- less than right. a mile Yeah, which is good. Flat. So that, that makes we're, sense. We're uh, by the side of the river, which would obviously put, put us as Riverside Studios Indeed. in Hammersmith. It's an interesting place, isn't it? It was a film studio. It was open as a film studios in the 20s. Then the BBC took it over. It became a, a very important BBC uh, production place, including Doctor Who. Yeah. But Top of the Pops was filmed here. Uh, and uh, have I got news for you? Still filmed here. Okay. Quite a lot of uh, quite important shows. Yeah. Big old space. But then they converted the two sound stages, which were the original studios, and sort of split it up into smaller spaces. And uh, and then I think in seventy four seventy five it started putting on well, theatre. And they dance. refurbished it and it opened in nineteen seventy six. Nineteen seventy six, which fits in with the timeline of the book, not bad. Absolutely actually. does, yeah. So he's he's moved. He's been to see the Sex Pistols uh, at the Nashville in nineteen seventy six. Yeah, uh, but that's before he uh, he meets Pike, the th- the, the theatre director, director yeah. who's a hilarious character. Yeah, um, incredibly. Um, self-obsessed uh, and uh, uh, pretentious and weirdly uh, manipulative and coercive and, yes. uh, and just, just awful in every way. Not like any theatre director. Not like any other theatre director. Not based on anyone who says he's based on anybody is just not telling the truth. No, exactly. <laughs> there are a number of interesting characters related to Riverside Studios, are there not? Including Hanif Kuryashi. He yes, he here. was hanging around here. He had a residency very early on. He yep. was offered, offered. He used to do odd jobs around here and do writing. Well, he acted jobs. here, didn't he? Yeah, I think he'd acted here. Yeah, so he was. He so was we should remind the listener that this is a very semi-autobiographical story he's telling here. That's right. He did get involved in independent theatre around that time a lot. So his name crops up not just the Riverside Studios, but also at the Royal Court yeah. and also at the Bush Theatre. They're probably the three most important yep, sort of yep. indie theatre spaces of the 70s I'd say, in London, yeah. I'd say. So he's obviously used that experience oh, in this totally. book. The two aesthetic people who run a studio... The aesthetes. Yeah. I can't help thinking that the people who ran the Riverside Studios, there was Peter Gill, who was the artistic director. The programmer, the arts programmer, was a guy called David Gothard. The two of them brought all kinds of weird and wonderful productions they started with the cherry orchard, fair enough. Yeah, traditional. But then they got into a lot of Eastern European theatre. So he basically, and he brought the Polish director Tadeusz Kantor to stage The Dead Class, which is basically a sort of one man show with a lot of puppets, I believe. <laughs> As he rehearsed that, it says in this article I found in The Independent about the Riverside Studios by Emily Green written a while ago when it, after its last refurbishment in the 90s she's saying that David Gothard would be a tough act to follow because he was so 
interesting. But as they were rehearsing, a BBC electrician who'd worked on Doctor Who in the studios, as you mentioned, he lent the studio keys to his son so he could practice with his rock band. Right. That became the Sex Pistols. Yep. So it all ties up this it all rather ties neatly, up doesn't nicely. it? Right. So Gotthard, born in the Fens. Oh, really? <laughs> so Near a bell, church bells. A bell ringing connection. Travelled in Eastern Europe during the 60s, forging friendships with avant-garde artists in Budapest, Krakow, Prague and Sarajevo. So he was clearly a spy, right? Yeah, but it also sounds very Pike, doesn't it? It does sound very Pike. That kind of thing, right? He's Pike a spy then. Right. He knew Vashlef Havel. Oh, okay. Right. He had legendary phone bills, apparently, because he was constantly phoning up weird theatre people around the world trying to persuade them to come to the Riverside Studios. Yeah. Um, he did persuade Samuel Beckett to direct one oh, of his own plays. Oh, he's directed his own endgame here, right? He also got Kathy Acker to write here. Sam Shepard put on plays here. Really? Yeah. I mean, he did amazing work. And, of course, his reward for that, if I may say so, was that in 1985, uh, he was sacked by the Labour-run Greater London Council. Ken Livingston GLC, him. denounced him. He would denounced him and the Riverside as being elitist. Not really much of an argument there, I would say. <laughs> But what did Ken and the GLC think they were going to put it on instead? Punch and Judy or uh, <laughs> what would be unelitist? Well, look around you now. I mean, it's quite elitist now, it's, it's isn't it? It's still pretty elitist. Hey? So I think they're a good candidates. And this, I think Riverside Studios Riverside does is a very good candidate, perfect yeah. for this whole thing, doesn't it? And David Gossard is a bit But of a also play. there wasn't um, the method of putting on the, the play they put on. Which oh, is basically them improvise, bringing a lot. They improvise stuff and a writer. Stuff and a writer. A story out. Well, that's that, more. that was quite a thing. Well, that's more Royal Court Theatre. Okay. But also, so Qureshi was involved in that as well. Qureshi was involved in Royal Court yeah. too, wasn't he? And of course, the guy who, who invented that was Max Stafford Clark. Okay. So Max Stafford Clark, he had, a, he had his own theatre company called the Joint Stock Theatre Company. And they worked with writers using company research to inspire workshops. And from these workshops, writers such as David Hare, Howard Brenton and Carol Churchill would garner material to inspire a writing phase before rehearsals began. So it's exactly the process. So the Max Stafford Clark thing. That, that's described in the book, isn't it? It's called the Joint Stock Method. So sexual harassment allegations, 2017. An employee of Out of Joint Theatre Company made a formal complaint about his behaviour and he was asked to leave the company. And in the weeks that followed, three more women stated that he had made lewd comments. He denied all allegations, right? I think he has, yeah, and he's never been prosecuted for anything as far as I know. Five women in the end came forward and wrote to the newspapers wow. and said his behaviour was unacceptable. So Kuriyash is at the centre in the late 70s of a, uh, a real soup of stuff. Yeah, no, he's got it all in this book. I'm Hanif Kuriyashi. I'm a novelist, playwright screenwriter and always available for paying work. Thanks. Um, how did you get involved in theatre? I went to the Royal Court in the early 70s. When I was 18 I sent a play in to the Royal Court. But my dad found a letter from them and he said you should go in and see them. So I went in and I met um, Donald Howarth. Mm -hmm. um, and I met Samuel Beckett on my first day in. He was what? there rehearsing uh, footfalls with Billy White, Whitelaw. Um, and they invited me to read scripts and I worked there backstage and I did everything in the theatre that you could do and I thought this is the life for me, this is great and I met writers 
directors and I felt it was the first time I was in a place where I really felt at home, mm -hmm. where I really felt I belonged to this community. But there were very few Asian or black or anybody of any other race. It was mostly public school, yeah. English, white. Did you go to school. public school? No, no, no. I was a, you know, my father was an immigrant. I came from a state school background. Mm. There was nothing, no real history of theatre in my family. Um, so, what inspired you to go to theatre in particular? Well, I wanted to be a writer, but I didn't want to sit at home on my own writing all the time. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, to get 30, to get 20, 20, 20, to get 20, 20, to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Mother's Day is around the corner. Find the perfect gift for the mom in your life with a stunning piece of jewelry from Blue Nile. From timeless pearls to dazzling gemstones, Blue Nile has something she'll adore. Need a fast? Most items can ship overnight. Plus, enjoy guaranteed free shipping and returns. Don't miss our special Mother's Day deals. Save big on the season's most beautiful trends. For a limited time, get up to 50% off by going to BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365 day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. I've got the power. Wow, you could talk, we're going to talk about 1990 uh, when this book came out. Yeah, uh, that was a little bit of uh, snap. Was it snap? It was. It was indeed snap. snap. The artist formerly the known artist. as Snap, <laughs> who were uh, who were very big in nineteen ninety. That track was everywhere. It was uh, really. The, was. the other thing that was well, it wasn't as everywhere as the other track, the best selling single of nineteen ninety. What's that? Which you could not escape. What was that? Unchained chuffing melody. Because oh. it was Ghost, wasn't it? It was the. Uh, oh yes. It was from Ghost. Okay, yeah. Nineteen ninety. That was also nothing compares to you. Was on. That was the second biggest single. Of yeah, oh, there you are. That, that that rings in my. The ears. other thing that you couldn't move for was blokes going around with Parkers talking about how they were at Spike Island. Well, um, the good news about nineteen ninety. Margaret Thatcher resigned. Margaret Thatcher resigned. Yeah. And, you know, current, current, uh, Roald Dahl died in 1990. Another racist. Oh, I'm not saying Margaret Thatcher's a racist. <laughs> so Roald Dahl yeah, has obviously been, you know, comprehensively discussed over recent weeks. And then the other music, of course, of the year, the soundtrack of the year. Oh, was that that year? 
moment it's that slow motion as the ball goes off yeah. Paul Parker's boot loops yeah. up in the air and a desperate Peter Shilton backpedalling with his hand in the air yeah. <laughs> wow He's obviously referring to the 1990 World Cup in that Italy. Is an Italia 90. Iconic moment. Brilliant year for TV. Some oh. really big, iconic TV shows started in 1990. Go on, then. Uh, One Foot in the Grave. I wrote down. I'm just going to read them out. One Foot in the Grave. Baywatch. <laughs> Quantum Leap. Yes. Master Chef. Still going. Twin Peaks. Yeah. Crystal Maze. Have I Got News for You started in mm. 1990. Fit Reeves' Big Night Out. Stars in Their Eyes. You've Been Framed. And Mr. Bean. All started. It was a big year for British television, I would say. Well, you know what? You, you've listed quite a few of the ones that I was going to do as well, but I had them through a slightly different lens. So many of these TV programmes are about stupid white males. Mr. Bean, yeah. Victor Meldrew, yeah. The Simpsons. Homer Simpson appeared in Britain that year. Of course, Vic Reeves, idiot, yeah. idiotic men. I'm yeah. thinking, I'm, the theme is idiotic white men. Isn't that always the theme? But it, this year, it was a big year on the telly. If you think of that, and then also um, Grand well, Day Out. I refer you back to Stone Roses. <laughs> Grand Day Out as well. Yeah. The film, that, the film that did come out in 1990, which everyone was banging on about, and I never really got it, was Truly Madly Deeply. Yes. Everyone was obsessed with that film. I particularly, think it was a bit boring. Particularly the ladies loved that film very did much, they? didn't they? The, the ladies you knew. Yeah, the ladies I knew. Okay. Well, I got married that year, so I only knew one lady. I got married that year yeah, well, there you go. as well. In yeah. fact, I got married on the same day that John Gummer fed a burger to his <laughs> daughter in order to prove that BSE wasn't a problem, even though it was. Well. Yeah, yeah. We didn't have burgers at the reception. No. I'm telling you that I now. I hope not. <laughs> it was a big year for politics. You mentioned Margaret Thatcher. Yeah. Benazir Bhutto gave birth. First national leader to give birth in office. Is that right? Yeah. I've, I've got one very important uh, one to talk about. I want to talk about what happened to William Broad in 1990. I like the way you've set it up. I don't know anything about this. Uh. <laughs> William Broad. William Broad. He, of course, he changed his name, uh, and his name was Billy Idol. You know, he was um, part of the Bromley contingent in 1971 well, they moved to Bromley and he went to Ravensbourne school now in 1990 I mean he was massive he was massive in the 80s his band was Generation X Generation X but then he went to America well no yeah so he, but Generation X is mentioned in the book as yes being it is one of so the, it can't be him but Charlie in Charlie the book is very is much, very much Billy Idol yeah, very much. and then going to America and getting big doing White Wedding and all yeah, that yeah. kind of stuff Rebel, Rebel Yell. Yell all that I mean it's so Charlie. Yeah, it's, it really is. It, it's got to be. Yeah. Now, look, the, the only problem was that in 1990, he had a terrible motorbike crash. Oh, he did, yes. Just before his motorcycle accident, he had been cast in Oliver Stone's The Doors with a, quite a chunky role as Jim Morrison's best mate, Cat. Oh, really? And it had the accident presented him from participating, so his part was reduced to something next to nothing. He was left on the cutting room floor. Oh, my God. They rewrote the whole thing. But here's an even more ridiculous thing. Yeah. Is that um, uh, he'd been booked after doing The Doors. He was going to play the villainous T-1000 Terminator in Terminator 2 Judgment Day. No way. And then because of his bike crash, it got recast. Oh, wow. 
but he was going to be the Terminator. That would have been quite something, wouldn't it? Billy Idol. Billy Idol. I, that, that changes the whole film for me. When punk rock became big in England, um, of course, a lot of the groups that started after that um, really did bring violence into their music. You know, they sang openly about about destroying things for real, you know. When, when, when Sex Pistols said destroy, they meant... Um, they meant social destruction. They didn't mean kill people. They mean destroy what's bad, you know. But it's very hard to explain. But it was much more symbolic, you know what I mean? But then all these groups turned up who were saying smash someone in the face. And then when, once all that started happening, there was no real free spirit. I mean, anarchy in the UK, anarchy is uh, unviolent, if you know what I mean? Anarchy is an unviolent way of bringing about a change. It's quite hard to work out um, the timeline for a book that takes in so much time, don't you think? Yeah. So, I mean, the, the broad arc of the book is he's he's at school at the start, pre-O level, because yeah. it later talks about going to do his A-levels at a different college. Yeah. He, 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 chapter five, he mentions his mock A-levels. Yeah. So, let's say he's 16, 15, 16 at the start of the book. Yeah. Well, he actually says at the end of book one, when he's end of suburbs, beginning of city, he says, I was 20. Book one is four years, 16 to 20, something like that. Something like that. And then book two, it clearly ends with Thatcher coming to power, right? Yes, it does say that. So 79. They're actually canvassing for the election. Yeah. We know it ends in 79. Yep. You very cleverly found a, a, a firm date for when well, Kevin Ayres played the three tons in there's Beckenham. A, there's a couple of firm dates, actually. There's Kevin Ayres playing the t- three tons at Beckenham, which is right at the beginning of the book. Yes. When he's 16. Right, okay. Yeah. He played at the three tons on May the 7th, 1972. Okay. So that would, that would, that would put the start of the book at 1972. Yes. It would mean in 1979 he was 23, roughly. It sounds about right. Sounds about right. Yeah. The other date in the book is uh, the Sex Pistols playing at the Nashville. I'm on punk music data. Yeah, you never thought you'd go there, did you? Pro, it's great. So the on the 3rd of April, the 101ers played with the Sex Pistols. The 101ers of Joe Strummer's band. Yes. It? On the 23rd of April, the 101ers again with the Sex Pistols. And then the Sex Pistols played again on the 29th of April. So they're in one of in those April, gigs. Three, three in, gigs. So um, Billy Idol would have been at those gigs. Yep. Susie Sue would have been at those gigs. Yeah. And uh Sid Vicious was in the audience. He yep. threw a bottle and cut somebody's head open right. and was arrested and sent to Borstal. So there's two dates there. Yeah. So in seventy two he's in London. He's yes. 16. That's good. And in seventy six he's in West Kensington. And right. So we can triangulate from there, can't so we? So he's twenty in those in in, in, in between in those, those two poles. But you pointed out, I think, interestingly, while we're on the road, that a lot of the cultural references in the book are actually a bit older. They are way off. And I, I want to talk whether, about um, yeah. Emerson, Lake and Palmer playing yes. at the Fairfield Hall. Well, that was 1970. So that was two years before. Yeah, they and, they, and they talk about Pink Floyd's new album, Umagummer. They didn't say, it doesn't say new album. Well. It just says we put Umagummer on. Oh, okay. Did you, yeah. They, okay. Go, they talk about Fat Mattress, going to see Fat Mattress. Yeah. Who actually split up in December 1969 for the first time. And yeah, split, so I think there's a lot of 69, 70 sort of references. Yeah. That I, but I wondered whether that was just a sign that Bromley was a bit behind the times, that the world had changed and Bromley hadn't, yeah. as it were, in terms of its cultural references. But I wonder whether the fixed point actually is, like a lot of these kind of cultural stories, the fixed point is 76. Yeah. And then everything else. I mean, I think the Kevin Ayres thing, he's probably remembering... 
And he probably didn't check the date. He didn't check the date. Because I think it probably makes yeah. more... I mean, you said it makes probably more sense if it's set in 1970. It does, because the there's references to uh, Angela Davis around that time. Yeah. The, the Manchester United Boot Boys, which is basically after 68, 69, is when they were pre- pre- really prevalent. Is it? Yeah, I've I've got a I've got a for um Patreon subscribers only I've got a link to a an excellent uh documentary about Manchester United hooliganism. Oh, okay. Yeah, which I'm sure you should take a listen to. Yeah, I will yeah. Uh, listen to that. Yeah, about it about how well, terrible in 72 of course we were relegated. So. Yeah, yeah. So then you and uh you couldn't go to Italy and get all your stupid sportswear anymore. No. There you go. <laughs> Um, the um, Andrew Luke Oldham is referenced as you might get to meet him. I think by 1972 he headed off to Colombia by then. Yeah, <laughs> he would. so I think that he's a bit earlier. There references. is a reference to Nixon getting elected. Yes, that's true. Which has to be either 68 or 72. Yes. Okay. And then it talks about going to see a production of Rigoletto at the, at the Opera House, Opera. and I they, they do on their website list There's all their productions yeah. in a quite a good detail. And uh, the only one in that period is on the third... They do a one-off production on the 30th of June, 1970. Okay. So that's... Good. So one of them is so wrong. So we're saying then, are we not, that uh, although there's a one date that puts it in 72, we're more comfortable with 1970 as the first part of the book. Yeah. The I mean, I, like, I just is, like the Kevin Ayers date. It's not yeah, so yeah. nice. It's so it's a bit specific, slippery, isn't it? So I think slippery. it's good. So I'm, the second I'm, half I'm, of the book I'm, is more solidly so, late 70s. Oh, very definitely, yeah. Yeah, so we've got 76, they're in the Nashville. Yeah. They talk about them. There's a big moment where um, Jamila wants um, um, Creamy to come to the rally, the anti-fascist rally, yes. and he doesn't go because he's too busy trying to see if his girlfriend's having it off with the theatre director. Um, that is definitely the Battle of Lewisham, and uh, that was the 13th of August, 1977. Right. So the second part of the book is definitely, we're talking 76 to 79, aren't yeah, we? we are. No question. A broad sweep of the seventies. Yeah. If you if you thought, so if you said this book is set between seventy and seventy nine, and said it's actually set, and it's it's uh, actually the story of the seventies. Yeah, I kind of think he I'd must buy have, that. He must have had that in his head. As I'd a take concept, that. Yeah, he? yeah. Okay. I think I would take that. Good. Very excited, very aware of the responsibilities. Her Majesty, the Queen, has asked me to form a new administration, and I have accepted. It is, of course, the greatest honour that can come to any citizen in a democracy. I know full well the responsibilities that await me as I enter the door of number 10, and I'll strive unceasingly to try to fulfil the trust and confidence that the British people have placed in me and the things in which I believe. And I would just like to remember some words of St Francis of Assisi, which I think are really just particularly apt at the moment. Where there is discord, may we bring harmony. Where there is error, may we bring truth. Where there is doubt, may we bring faith. And where there is despair, may we bring hope. And to all the British people, howsoever they voted, may I say this, now that the election is over, may we get together and strive to serve and strengthen the country of which we're so proud to be a part. We like to give a rating, don't we, for how seriously the author takes 
such things as uh, dates, dates and locations. locations. Yes. Um, so, uh, and we also give them a mark for artistic, artistic achievement. Artistic achievement. Which is very high-handed of us. So should we start? Let's start with the artistic rating then. Okay. So I'm going to say that uh, Hanif Qureshi doesn't care for marks. He didn't like school. So in terms of, I imagine marking is not a thing yeah. he's interested no. in. So that's, let's get that out there. Let's get that out there. So let me give him a mark. Go on. So for, for Q-spec rating, uh, we've talked about the fact that his dates are not bad, yeah. but they are a bit broad. There's a bit, it's rather broad brush. So I think in terms of sort of basic dating, mm. as opposed to advanced dating. Did <laughs> you get a badge now? It's like the British Olympics, <laughs> the British Gymnastic Association. I think he's somewhere between a bronze and a silver <laughs> okay, badge. You right. see what I mean. Yeah. So I'm going to give him a seven. Okay. I think that's fair enough. The mention of Kevin Ayers is obviously very interesting, isn't it? Because it's so, it's so specific. <laughs> the mention of Kevin Ayers isn't always interesting. No, no, no. But it's it's, it's so specific. Yes. That's obviously a memory. Yeah, he obviously went, went there. Has, right? yes. I think he's being interesting about dates, actually. So I'd probably give him a slightly higher mark. Okay. Not because not necessarily for accuracy, but just for being quite interesting and pulling in cultural references. I'm going to give him an eight. Okay. I'm almost, t- talked in- I'm almost talked into that as well. By taking the book down to Bromley and Beckenham, it took us to a load of David Bowie places. It did. And that in itself was an interesting idea. It really was. So I could nearly give him another word. But I'm, I'm going to stay idea. firm seven because then he gets 15, which I think is about Although right. Although I'm slightly worried now about the, the Bowie Nazi references, which you know, made me slightly twitchy. You have to take all of Bowie. Yeah. All of Bowie. All of me. Yeah. Well, take all of yeah. me. <laughs> so artistic rating. Artistic rating. I really enjoyed this book. Mm-hmm. I started off feeling it's quite long. I felt it was quite long. Oh, rattle. I thought I found it rattled along quite well. Mm, it's, quite, full of, well it's, it's full of things. It's got a lot of pages. <laughs> I'm getting slightly averse. This is Cambridge that. University level practice. Right. That's right. It's yeah, got that, a lot of that's pages. That's why I've got an English degree. It's got a lot of pages, this one. Um, <laughs> um, no, I enjoyed it. It confronted my prejudices or my lack of understanding about multicultural London and yep. me, me a. Posh white, not posh. Uh, public school white, white posh. Blo- bloke from Norfolk. Yeah. It's quite a long walk. Nelson Mandela <laughs> reference. Uh, well, he was released in nineteen ninety. Exactly. It, quite that. a long walk to Bromley from yeah. Norwich. I'd <laughs> the say long, the long walk to Bromley. <laughs> that could be your autobiography. Uh, so um, I had to make quite a, a, a journey. Yeah, uh, which I enjoyed and challenged my prejudices and yeah. my, made me think more about how other people live. So that was a good thing, and also it made me. I enjoyed thinking about the seventies because yeah. uh, a lot of my youth was in the seventies, yeah. and I enjoyed it going yeah. back there very much. So for all of that, I'm going to give him an eight. Okay, very good. I hadn't read it since it first came out, and I don't think when it came out I particularly cared for it. But I think I had a bit of a problem with Henry Kureshi when it. At that time, I didn't like my beautiful laundry. I thought it was. Did you not? I thought it was pretty sl- thin, thin gruel. My, my myself. Gosh, um, I don't know why. However, coming back to it, probably because it was directed by a Gresham's boy. It's probably is it? coming back to the book. I really, really enjoyed it. Okay, and I really enjoyed reading a book that was. It's not about race, but obviously race is a big part of it. Mm. The sort of the dialogue we've been having with ourselves about race over the last three or four years has become so angry and you know everyone's sort of looking at each other and questioning each other and it's all it's all quite difficult to read a book that talked about race 
so intelligently and creatively while obviously being still quite damaged by the experience of growing up in a white society in the, in the 50s. It's, I thought it was incredibly refreshing. He's obviously he's just such an intelligent man talking about that stuff. I really enjoyed that. So I think I'm going to give him a nine. Mm. I really liked it. I didn't find it had too many pages. I found it had just the right amount of pages. I guess also the world he describes of Bromley, et cetera, still, was still sort of recognisably the world I grew up yeah. in. Yeah. You were going in a little the, bit dreamy at in, certain in points. In the 70s and In 80s, Bromley High Street, I saw you glaze over with memories. Yeah, yeah, yeah. There was quite a lot of memories of that. But yeah. also that kind of, you know, that the undercurrent of racism that bred from, you know, a complete... I mean, I can still remember moving to Brixton and going home to my parents and speaking to their friends and going, oh, my God, you know, the... the these people are racists and <laughs> don't get know, me started you know, about know, that in norfolk come know, on now and, but yeah you know, so so that kind of you know it's almost like the it's almost like the kind of the line was more clearly drawn back then about which side of the line you were on oh, and okay. um, uh, that's obviously changed because we you know we're all questioning ourselves and our yeah, impulses as we should which is yeah. right which is yeah, fine yeah. but it has got very very complicated it has um, so I, I i think uh reading about that but you know i really enjoyed it so i'm giving him a nine Good, which enough. obviously he will very much value we have to say, get well, Hanif. Yeah, get well. Yeah, yeah. Uh, because he, he, you know, it might be good. He, he's sitting in a wheelchair or in a hospital bed in Italy, I believe. I think he's trying to get home now. Um, Presumably, he's dictating all these tweets. And well, his... he is. He is to his son. Oh, really? Yeah, yeah. He's working. He's collaborating with his son on this writing as oh, he's interesting. Uh, uh, trying to recover from the this. Tweets are very good. The tweets are very good. They're very yeah. interesting. They are. Know? He's he's a very. But he must very have a lot of time. Writer. And I was thinking, what do you do when you can't move your arms and legs and lying? But you listen to podcasts, don't you? <laughs> Can you imagine Vinnie <laughs> Kurieshi stumbling across this as we go? But we would say we would doff our caps and we would say, "Big admirer, big fans, big fans, big fans." Get well soon. Get well soon. Write more. More and more, because yeah. I mean, he is a quintessential writer. That was why, why he's committed to the idea of just writing, yeah. which I really respect. Well, also, him for. I think the other thing, and this is the other thing that I was sort of reaching for, I suppose, his 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 notion of Englishness is really interesting. Yeah, you know where he Very comes much from, so. and what that what Englishness now means. Yeah, it's absolutely fascinating. Yeah. So, listen, you know, this book, if it takes you to Bromley, don't worry. It's actually worth it. <laughs> it's worth wrong. the trip. There's nothing wrong with going to Bromley. <laughs> so, uh, we should... I got the power! <laughs> Sorry, I just had to do it one more time. We should, we should thank Snap for giving us that snippet. Uh, it comes. It's the point of the podcast when we do our thank yous. Yes. We have a standing thank you for the composer of our theme tune. Yes, the artist called Learning Music, who can be found on the Free Music Archive. And the track's called Trebek's Lament. That's right. Check it so out. thanks, Tim. Check it out. Now, there was a, there was a fair bit of stuff I, I added into this uh, Hanif Kureshi you thing. You did a lot. One thing I didn't add... Uh, because I couldn't find a way of getting the rights to it. There's a fantastic uh, video on YouTube that was produced by the the, um, the pupils at Ravenswood School in oh. 2013 called David Bowie is One of Us. Oh, wow. And it's uh, it's lovely. It's like they, 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 it's filmed in the school. Uh, it's them. It's, it's, it's a young guy who's kind of like walking through the school and imagining yeah. himself as, you know, 
uh, as Bowie. Dressed and, as Hitler with a Sevastopol no, on his arm. No, not dressed as Hitler. Oh, no. I think the other think one. These young people may not be aware of that. Reference. Okay. Uh, but it's got an amazing sort of Bowie pastiche track over the top of it, oh. which I was trying to get permission to use. And is that but, done uh, by the kids as well? It's done by the kids. And oh. So I was told the copyright is held by the kids, who are now all presumably grown ups. Tracking them down would be impossible. Yeah. But I will link to it in the show notes. It's well worth checking out. Well, all I can say about that is that the spirit of Frampton's alive. Fra- yes, exactly. See the spirit of Frampton's alive is Frampton's in the, alive. Well, actually, a short film called Frampton's Alive filmed in Ravenswood with a ghost of Peter Frampton would be very good. Yeah. Uh, there was a ghost. Pe- it could be Peter Frampton. He's still alive. Frampton's alive. I know. There's two bits of music. The, the music I used in the first uh, episode was called Koi Discovery. No, sorry. It was by Koi Discovery. Koi Discovery. And it was called Shiva's Blossom. Okay. Which you can also find on the uh, free music archive. Nice. Link up to it. And then the punky uh, track that I was using in part two was called Gun Barrel. Oh. And it was by Earwax. Oh, I love it. That's good. good. Yeah. So that was that was quite good. There were a couple of other things you heard. Um, you heard a clip from a British Library interview with Hanif Kurieshi. You had a bit of a clip from the Buddha of Suburbia TV TV show on the BBC that was in there. And there was also a clip. I don't know if you spotted this. There was the Sex Pistols actually playing at the Nashville Rooms. From oh, the gig we discussed. Ooh, I was, thought that might have been a demo tape from no, Riverside no, Studios, but it was actually, actually in the Nashville. that night at the Nashville Studios. Oh, well played, sir. So that was in there. So, uh, That's lots, worth the copyright infringement. Yes, right worth there. the copyright infringement. <laughs> so um, we'll, uh, we'll link to all those things on our Patreon page, on our show notes. If you oh, yes. uh, subscribe to Patreon, you'll get access to the show notes. Uh, and also, uh, you'll get immediate access to ad-free versions of our next episode, which is our last South London adventure. Ooh, yes, this was a good one, although it was a bit wet. It was a wet day. We're normally quite lucky on the weather on this podcast, we but are. we weren't on this day. And you we were wearing inappropriate shoes. I was wearing trainers, idiot. Yeah. Uh, but we were getting drenched in Battersea. Drenched in Battersea. Yeah. Nice. Nice, that's yeah. what we call the book. We went down the estate. Went down the estate. Yeah. yeah. We filmed for slightly longer in the estate than I was comfortable with. You were all right. You were very happy. I was wearing yellow, so I I had the gang colours on. It's fine. If you want to find out what on earth we're talking about, then uh, check us out next next week with the new episode. Um, And uh, in the meantime, uh, our memories of Bromley stay with us. I'm not going back. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com slash style for free shipping and 365-day returns. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. 
Go to quince.com slash style for free shipping and 365-day returns.